Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Motor Mouth podcast. Now, unfortunately, due to the coronavirus lockdown, we are no longer holding the uh, Motor Insurance World event um, this month. Uh, we're looking for a new date later in the year. Um, anyway, w- one of the people who was due to speak at the conference was uh, Matthew Maxwell Scott, the executive director of the Association of Consumer Support Organisations. And uh, he's here today to talk to me, um, albeit remotely, um, about what he was going to talk about at the event. And perhaps hopefully we'll touch on when we eventually reschedule. So um, uh, hello, Matthew. Hello, delighted to be with you. Uh, how, how are you finding self-isolation at the moment? I'm, I'm liking it so far, but I think we're only on day four at the time of this recording. So um, by the time people listen to this, there may well have been something on the news indicating it's not gone as well. But we'll see. We'll see. OK. Um, obviously, yeah, the event's been cancelled because of coronavirus. Um, could I just ask you, uh, how do you think the um, kind of uh, this will impact uh, on on the rollout of the uh, kind of government reforms and any legislation moving forward for, for, for the motor insurers and the insurance industry as large? Um, I think in terms of the Civil Liability Act, the coronavirus outbreak almost certainly represents a, a further delay. Um, as it is, the it was moved from 6th of April um, to the 1st of August, which always looked like a slightly unusual date. It doesn't seem like a good time to be rolling out a, a consumer-facing product like this in the summer holidays. Um, but it was always very tight anyway in terms of getting in, in the, the necessary consumer safeguards to make sure the thing was actually going to work properly from, from implementation. Um, the Ministry of Justice position, uh, uh, the day I'm speaking, is still that it is going for the 1st of August. Um, but that's obviously it's up to ministers to change that. I think it's very likely to be delayed, certainly till October, which I think would be a fairly sensible um, timetable, or maybe even into the early part of 2021. But obviously, we'll we'll wait and see. I know a lot of work is going on behind the scenes with the Motor Insurers Bureau and others, but there seems to be too much to get done to um, get this rolled out in a way that isn't going to be potentially very detrimental to consumers. And one of the most widely spoken um, objectives of the whiplash reforms is to eradicate or at least neuter this so-called claims or compensation culture. But do you think we have a claims or compensation culture? Or is it as bad as it's been made out to be? I, I think there are a number of different ways of looking at it. Um, one is that it's obviously people are saying this is a bad thing. Claims culture is used as a pejorative term to say we shouldn't be claiming against our insurance and something's sort of morally wrong with that, um, which I think is a great shame because the reason that people take out insurance cover in the first place is on, on the proviso they'll be able to claim against it um, should something bad happen. Um, so I don't I really hold with this idea there's, there's some sort of terrible claims culture. If you look at claims numbers, certainly for minor road traffic accidents, um, they be, they've tailed off rather. Um, and I do think as well that because it's used as a pejorative, it, it's to try and prevent people making claims in the first place by suggesting there's somehow something rather morally wrong with this, which I think is, is very regrettable. And actually, I think what we have more of in the UK is, is a no claims culture. You are given what is referred to as a bonus, a no claims bonus, if you don't claim against your uh, your insurance cover, um, which is basically just giving you a slight discount for not using the product in the first place. Um, and in any case, we are being actively discouraged from making claims by by use of this sort of in the pejorative claims culture. So I think there is more of a no claims culture, and that's of concern because the, the, the point of insurance is it's there when you need it. 
and if you're being actively discouraged from using it, well, there's likely to be a, a backlash in terms of the reputation of insurers and in terms of the regulatory burdens which, which they all face. So, Matthew, in the new world of the post-reform world, the post-reform world, this new world, when it eventually happens, what impact will unregulated claims management companies have in the interaction between insurers and claimants? Well, first of all, I think that the Financial Conduct Authority, having taken over the regulation of of personal injury claims management companies um, last year, um, is going to be all over this. They are they have teeth and they're happy to use them. Um, I think, and we are, you know, we're very happy to be working with the, the FCA, and it's part of its regulatory consultative group, um, to make sure that the regulation is fair, proportionate, and is above all in the consumer interest. And we've already seen, since the FCA t- take over, uh, a large number of, of CMCs exit the market. I think that number will continue. Um, certainly, we, what we believe is that well-regulated, well-managed uh, well-run CMCs are in the consumer interest. If you look at PPI, payment protection insurance claims, approximately two-thirds of those claims were only made because of the existence of CMCs. And I think it's very welcome that the banks, having sold substandard products, knowingly sold substandard products to so many millions of people, um, got their comeuppance. And it was in many ways thanks to the CMCs. So in terms of consumer choice, in terms of access to justice, I think they've got a really important role to play. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have to be on the lookout for poor behaviours. And I think it's particularly incumbent, not just on the insurers and on customers themselves, but also on those from the, the, the claimant side of things to be to be the ones who get in touch with the FCA first to point them in the direction of poor behaviour, because it's really in no one's interest um, for it to exist. And I think, as I say, there has been a minority of uh, CMCs who behave badly in the past, and it's a fairly small minority. I, mean, I think we should hope that if the FCA are effective in their role, that it'll become an even smaller number going forward. And there's been a lot of talk about a definition of whiplash during this whole process. Do you think what's been settled on will meet the objective or the proposed objective to reduce fraudulent claims and allow for a stricter, more comprehensive tariff system? Well, look, this is a complicated um, subject, and I'm I'm not I'm not a doctor, so I would be very careful about this. But I think um, what they've come up with is based upon medical opinions. So I think it'll probably do a, a fair job. I think we need to be clear as well that the Whiplash Reform Program uh, was introduced only partly to combat fraud. Um, the biggest single reason we were promised it was being brought in was to uh, reduce the cost of motor insurance, which, as we know, has gone up uh, fairly dramatically in recent years, which is a consequence most of all of the decline in investment returns by uh, general insurers. And I think that's a, something that, that people need to be absolutely clear on. Um, it is vital we do tackle fraud. Um, again, it's rather like poorly run CMCs. Fraud is a very bad thing that benefits no one, and we need to do what we can together uh, to stamp it out. And it may well be that the whiplash definition um, helps in that. But we you know that is only one part of what the whiplash programme um, was about. And I think what we're be interested to see happen is the, the work of the Insurance Fraud Task Force, which as we know um, was some years ago now, and its report was, came out some years ago. It made a lot of very sensible recommendations, the vast majority of which everyone agrees uh, are sensible and should be implemented. The danger is that that's just been shelved. People have forgotten about it. The current coronavirus won't help in that, I suspect. But there has been a promised successor body to the Insurance Fraud Task Force, which we'd like to see we'd like to see brought into existence, just to make sure those sensible recommendations are put through. And then also that we're in a better position to respond to any new challenges as the market adapts. 
So, um, Matthew, you've written a number of articles critical of the government's position on whiplash. Could you perhaps explain the criticism? And do you feel that these issues and the issues that you've raised have been adequately addressed? I don't think we've been entirely critical. I think what the, my position has been is that it is sensible to look to address um, uh, the, the, the increase in whiplash cases, especially, especially if they are, are frivolous or, or fraudulent. I think that's perfectly reasonable. I think my criticism has been less about that than about the process and about the mechanism by which they're doing it. Um, I think there could have been more sensible ways of approaching this that would have uh, involved less consumer detriment. And I think many insurers would probably agree that the original idea um, to do something to tackle the number of whiplash uh, claims was fine. But actually, the position we're in now is not the one they anticipated being in. And, and perhaps they would have rather have done it all again. But we are where we are on that one. It is now almost five years since this whole process began. Um, we are still, you know, not yet in a position to implement the new system. I think there need to be far more consumer safeguards in place for the new system. I mean, a, a vital part of this was uh, was meant to be alternative dispute resolution, whereby if a claimant's uh, claim was disputed by the uh, defendant insurer, they could go to an independent body that would help them resolve it. Um, that was the government's promise. Um, it said that the insurance industry had agreed to this, would abide by the rules of, of uh, the ADR and would fund it. Um, because it's proven to be too complicated or, or taken too long to do this, the government's now decided that will no longer be the case. And that brings with it incredible levels of risk for the average consumer. Um, and we will need to be on the lookout for insurer behaviour here. I think we know that it will only ever be a small minority of insurers who might seek to game a system that doesn't have the protections of ADR in it. But we already know that, men, that the way different insurers approach claims at the present time can be very different from insurer to insurer. So we want to see the government work very closely with the FCA and work with the industry to monitor what's going on, um, to see how many uh, how many claims are being disputed and, and also to consider quantum disputes as well and to see whether it might be necessary to put in some other safeguards um, to ensure that the temptation to turn down claims uh, wholesale is not taken up. So... I mean, with all this ongoing indecision uh, regarding the time frame um, and causing a lot of irritation for everybody, how can how can everyone deal with the uncertainty? Look, I think all stakeholders crave certainty. It, it, it's very difficult to make investment decision, um, to invest in technology, to plan for the medium to long term. You, you just don't know what's going to happen. I mean, when the government uh, recently announced the, the, the delay in the implementation of the Whitpass programme just to August, uh, that was only only came in a few weeks before it was due to be implemented. And now here we are um, only, you know, to 12, 16 weeks away from the 1st of August and we still don't know if it's going to happen. We've raised the, the point before that legal expenses insurers are put, being put in a particularly difficult position by this because they sell policies on an annual basis. They probably need an extra six months on, on top of that to, to design products and get them out to their supply chains, meaning that if they have less than 18 months, uh, notice of what the changes, exact changes are going to be. They may well be selling policies that um, have limitations to them that, um, that aren't, won't be able to do what they're intended to do. So that puts them in a very difficult position. I think there should be no rush to do implement any of these changes. Um, the important thing should be to do them once and do them right. We've seen in the past changes being brought in. I mean, Medco is a good example. Medco was rushed through on a political timetable and some fairly dramatic reforms had to happen to make her subsequently to make sure it was working effectively. And actually, these are ongoing to this day. Um, so I don't see why well, there's a particular rush here. What 
um, claimant firms and medical report organisations, legal expenses insurers and insurers themselves want is, is certainty. They absolutely crave it. And it's been very, very difficult for them. I think what we need to see now is any extra time uh, it should be taken by the industry to work together, uh, to combine the sector knowledge they have and really try and come up with solutions for themselves without the government intervening. Um, to a political timetable. These are claims processes are fairly technical, fairly specialist, and it, it'd be best really if those at both, on both sides of the equation were working together in the public interest on this. So looking in the round, I mean, how has the impact of wide regulatory change affected insurers and how can they best prepare for, for change? I think insurers are in a particularly difficult position right now. Um, they have some fairly long-standing reputational issues. Um, the coronavirus has thrown them, them into very sharp relief. And this is particularly re relating to business interruption cover, um, travel insurance cover, but you know more besides. Um, and they need to be very careful. I think you know we understand that insurers were behind the scenes pushing for the recent delay in the whiplash program because they were concerned about the reputational damage and about the consumer journey that was going to be involved with having a, an unfinished product pushed onto the market too soon. So I think they understandably will be concerned that people will involved in accidents, uh, will believe that their insurance covers them in these eventualities and won't be particularly satisfied when they get in touch with their insurer and their insurer just tells them to go and use a, you know, a government portal. Um, and this also is going to be a particularly acute problem for those with vulnerabilities. Um, if you set up an online portal, I think it's very welcome that they're trying to modernise claims processes and reduce costs and make it as slick and efficient as possible. But for those 20% or so of us out there who do not use the internet, um, this is going to be a deeply unsatisfactory change. And we want to see greater safeguards for that. And I think the insurers um, should want that too. I mean, there are wider regulatory reforms out there as well. Um, in, and we need to consider the you know, general insurance supply and the, the current uh, FCA on those. Um, it would be good to see increased uh, transparency on pricing, on commissions, and a better focus on the consumer throughout the product design and supply chain with better governance for insurers. I think there's an awful lot for them to do right now. Insurers are going to be firefighting uh, the COVID-19 problems, but actually there are some more long-standing, deep-seated issues. Motor insurance is a, uh, I think it's fair to say it's a dysfunctional market. Um, insurers are finding it very difficult to make underwriting profits, um, although they tend to make um, better returns on, on add-ons and, and other products as well. But I think it's very, very difficult. And the insurers must be careful you know, what they wish for. Um, the whiplash reforms were an insurance industry uh, proposal. I think we're somewhat ill thought through. Um, the fact that it's taken so many years to get from the original proposals um, to where we are now and we're still not ready to go is a source of, of great concern and there is an unsuspecting public out there for whom this new system is going to be imposed currently on still on the 1st of August maybe a bit later who will have no idea what's going to happen um, there is there are some plans by both the Motor Insurance Bureau and the Ministry of Justice to do some public awareness campaigns on this but it seems that the, you know, the sorts of budgets that would be necessary to get widespread understanding of these things will be well beyond what they'll be able to afford. So there is a danger that you are pushing a, a system that isn't ready on a public that is unprepared or to combat some problems which have perhaps been exaggerated in the past by, um, by insurers. So it's uncertain times. Um, from a commercial point of view, it's certainly very, very challenging times 
because of COVID, but also because of the, the nature of these changes. And I think it's going to be a very, very interesting next year ahead. And we may well see people withdrawing from the market, for example, because it just proves too complicated and too risky in terms of reputation. Well, thank you very much, Matthew. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. Now, as I said at the start, unfortunately, Motor Insurance World has been cancelled, but we are running an online virtual event, Motor Insurance World Live, on Wednesday the 8th of April, with the first session beginning at 10.30. I hope you can join us then. Until then, from Matthew and I, it's goodbye. (music) Goodbye.